that's Michigan, not Germany. I've never been to either one of those. Um, and it was nice fall colors. What the um, what I my what I would tell you is, if you don't like shopping, don't go. It was it was fun. We had a good time. There was also uh, there were five things going on in Frankenmuth that that uh, weekend. Um, one of which was a woodcarver show, and uh, I enjoyed that. But we went to we went and visited another missionary church. We went in and um, they uh, in front. I had to remember what they called it, so I had to look it up because I sent it to Kent um, because he and I. Uh, uh, you know, just send each other notes to bug each other every once in a while. So we walk in, and the guy's up front, and he said, "Remember, now this was not a very big church. Uh, it's uh, uh, you know, the, there were less folks than there were in ours, so they knew we were the visitors. And um, they said, uh, "Remember when we did Hoedown Sunday a couple weeks ago?" And they said, "Yeah." They said, "Today's Hoedown Sunday." And so uh, we sang twangy music the whole time, um, and ha- had a hoedown. The um, that that is not my that's not the style of music I would choose, um, you know. But um, it was one of those things where I thought, man, I wish I was back at Northside today, <laughs> you know. And and uh, you know, to to be a part of, of the body is is just a great thing. Well, while Jenny and I were traveling to, um, to back and forth to, to and from Frankenmuth, uh, we've been listening to books, different books uh, that she downloads onto her phone, and then we just we listen to them while we travel. Uh, and um, one of the books we did earlier, it wasn't this time. Uh, we did earlier in the um, in the year. I think it's when we went down with the family. Uh, on vacation this year, we listened to um, Twelve Ordinary Men. Uh, it's a book written by John MacArthur about the uh, apostles, and it was it was just fascinating. It was interesting, uh, and so interesting, in fact, that I then I began doing a study on the Twelve Apostles, and uh, that's um, you know it, it, I was motivated by that. And I am not done with that study yet, but I am, we're going to, we're, today I'm starting a sermon on the 12 apostles, uh, and what I, one of the things that came across, I liked his title, 12 Ordinary Men. Uh, one of the things that MacArthur emphasizes in his study is how ordinary they are, uh, just a lot like us. And that, as you see, is what kind of impressed me, uh, the fact that they're a lot like us, now, I, like I said, I am not done with this study yet. I'm still doing it uh, because then as I was uh, sharing with Pastor Kent on, um, uh, you know, that I was doing this series, he uh, shot me a few more book titles that he enjoyed on studying the apostles. And so now I have even more to study uh, that I'm doing. But anyway, it's it's been a lot of fun. I'm guessing this will be somewhere between a, a 10 to 12 week series. Uh, 12 seems like it would be the number because there's 12 apostles, but there's not much written about some of them. So, um, you know, but anyway, it's, I've been enjoying the study. I hope you do too as we go through this. Um, let's pray and we're going to get into our, our start of that today. Father, I thank you for uh, the fact that just what a great reminder it is that you use people just like us. 
We don't always think of the 12 apostles that way, but it becomes very apparent in studying your word and looking at your word. That's exactly what they were. Sometimes more like us than we'd like to, we'd like to admit that we're like them. So I pray that you would unfold your word and your truth before us, that we can see not only how you worked then, but how you're working now. Uh, the way in which you touch lives, mold lives, and, and put lives together to use, and we hope ours too, for your glory and for your honor. So guide our time, our thoughts here, and that it will indeed make a difference for eternity's sake, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Sometimes we put these, you know, the 12 apostles up on a pedestal. Um, well, 11 of them anyway. We put them up on a pedestal, uh, you know, thinking that, that, that they are so much different than us. I mean, think about it. Not only did they get to hang around with Jesus, uh, you know, but they are really the ones responsible for the New Testament, the part of our Bible that we most likely pay attention to the most. Uh, several of the apostles wrote many of the New Testament books, but all of the, all of the New Testament authors had some connection to at least one apostle. Uh, so all that you see, and, and it was all written during their lifetime, which they could stand up and, and correct and refute if there were error in there. Uh, and so it's really an encouragement. But what stands out to me, as I mentioned with this, is how ordinary these guys truly were. And then uh, just a lot like us. Uh, Randy, who uh, led our, our Bible study, Randy Boltema, uh, referred to us one time in the Bible study as dirt people. And uh, everybody just kind of went, <laughs> and, uh, what he meant is just, you know, kind of regular, ordinary folks. Uh, and uh, those are really, those are my kind of people. I hope you're not offended that I find you as regular, ordinary dirt people. Uh, you know, one of those, one of those folks is just, uh, you know, we're just, they, but the apostles were the same thing. They're just a lot like us. They were just ordinary people trying to get a handle on what it means to live with Jesus. That's what they were looking for. What does it mean to, to live with Jesus? How does this unfold? You know, they made some incredible blunders along the way, those I can identify with, uh, you know, those blunders. And they really learned as they grew. As they grew in their relationship with Jesus, they learned and things unfolded, you know. And with all of those faults, all of those flaws that they had, all of their ordinariness, you know, as remarkably ordinary as they were, uh, these kept men carried on a ministry for Jesus after his ascension that left uh, just an indelible impact on the, wor- on the world. In fact, their ministry, their impact continues even today. We're here because of part of that. And God very graciously empowered and used these men to initiate the spread of the gospel and turn the world upside down. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, one of the things that's said about them is says they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You know, they, they literally turned the whole world upside down and, you know, even today. But for a time, it didn't look like they were going to do that. For a time, it looked like they weren't going to, they looked uh, like, you know, they were going to be maybe on the losing end of the stick. Uh, it looked like all of that time that Jesus had poured into him, everything that Jesus had put into him for a while, it looked like, you know, that was, that Jesus was going to be an utter failure in the guys that he chose. And because he chose these guys, just hours before his crucifixion, uh, you know, he had walked with these guys, he had trained these guys, and just hours before his crucifixion, we're told that all the disciples deserted him and ran away. They took off. 
These guys that he trained, these guys that were walking with him, these guys that followed him for those years, those guys that looked and saw and, and said, he's a Messiah. Then it, when he was crucified, it, th- then they all take off. They seem to have a sense of failure themselves, you know, even within themselves. They were, they were lost. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know even how to proceed. In John chapter 21, interesting uh, interaction there. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, uh, from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's uh, sons, and the two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. Now he wasn't just going out, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't just going out to go fishing and take a break. He was a fisherman. What he was saying is, I'm going back to work. This, this following Jesus stuff just didn't seem to work out. I'm going back to work is what he's saying. What did they say? We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and got into the boat and they fished, but all that night they caught nothing. You see that they had walked with Jesus. They had expected this big miraculous over taking of the roman government that didn't happen they weren't quite sure exactly how all this worked but what they did know is jesus wasn't there anymore the whole the whole thing of the ministry he was resurrected and they saw him but the ministry it was different their time with him was different it had changed what they expected didn't happen and it unfolded and and they you know and and they were they were what do we do let's go back to what we were doing but look there, even there they caught nothing they were failing, it seemed, at even what they knew how to do. They were fishermen. They used to make their living at fishing. And here they, they, they went out fishing and they couldn't even do that. But even this event, Jesus, then he used this to encourage them. He used this to remind them of their new life with Jesus. A little bit later in the chapter, it says uh, that it says, When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? I like that question because, you know, he wasn't looking for information. He was, he was, he was getting their attention. Uh, no, they answered. Uh, it says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one who Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. You see, and then his eyes were open. Now, as I was reading this and I was thinking, you know, do you suppose perhaps this incident reminded them of, a, of another time, a time when they began their ministry with Jesus? Here they were at the end of the ministry with Jesus, a time in which they be, shortly after they began their ministry with Jesus here, they had set out, it's recorded in Luke chapter 5, and they had set out and gone fishing. And again, they had fished, we were told, all night because that was a time for the, that's the time for the fish them to be able to catch the fish there and so they were out fishing all night it says and and they they were then on shore and they were cleaning their nets while they were, they were cleaning their nets getting ready for the next day of fishing they would clean them they would hang them up so that they would dry out and they'd be ready for the next day of fishing well as they're getting ready for the next day of fishing we're told jesus was there and he was teaching nearby and as he was teaching nearby and got down by the shore then it says he stepped into one of the boats there and he asked him to, to push out a little bit from the shore so that he could teach the that he could teach the people better because that was the, the the sound would just carry over the water a little bit more. Plus, as the people were crowding around him, it would block off some who couldn't see. So as he got in the boat, it would put a little separation between him and the people. More people could see, and then more people could learn. And then we're told this is what happened. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Totally the wrong place, wrong time of day. Uh, Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. 
when they did this, when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come to help them. Uh, they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Uh, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats uh, to land, left everything, and followed him. You see, this was at the very beginning of their ministry, their time with Jesus. And at the very beginning time there, they had this, this, this time where they were fishing and caught nothing. And Jesus told them where to put that net down and they hauled it in. And they recognized him and they saw that he was somebody different. And here it was then after Jesus was crucified, the men he had trained, the men that he was depending on to carry out his work, they were a little defeated, they were a little discouraged. And, and Jesus comes to them. They were out fishing. And again, Jesus comes to them there in John chapter chapter 21 and and he he encourages them and he reminds them of who he was we can we can sometimes get caught up or beaten down by what we're in the midst of and we can lose that excitement of walking with jesus that we first had you know when we get just life kind of seems to just take all our energy When you're discouraged, think back. Think back to those times when you really saw Jesus clearly work in your life and be encouraged again. I just thought it was very interesting that as Jesus was getting ready for the resurrection there, or excuse me, the ascension in John chapter 21, he takes them back to an incident and reminds it to me, and it reminded of an incident that he had with them at the very first. When they realized, man, look at who this guy is. This is amazing. And they began to walk and follow him. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't choose, you know, fancy people. He chose ordinary men who are a lot like us to carry on his work. When you look at this list of people, he did not choose a single rabbi. He didn't choose any Pharisees or Sadducees. He didn't choose any scribes. He didn't choose a priest. Not one of the men he chose came from the ranks of the religious establishment. Not a single one. They came from ordinary walks of life. He chose a tax collector. He chose, he chose a fisherman. He chose a, a group of fishermen, really. He chose a man who was known as a rebellious a, a zealot, is what it was. A, 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 someone who was an instigator, uh, you know, a rebel. And still today, he works most often through ordinary people involved in their everyday, ordinary lives. This is how God works. Most of the work God does, most of the work God that, that still goes on for God goes through ordinary people who choose to follow Jesus in their ordinary, everyday lives. A lot like us. You see, sometimes we think that it's only, only, you know, going to church or it's only these big events and things that, that really make much of a difference. But as I was thinking about this, even our largest churches in this city, even our largest churches have only a small fraction 
of the population of our area in attendance today. And we can go, we can say that, you know, this church has 3,000 people. This church has 5,000 people. And we go, wow, that's a big church. That is a, that is a fraction of a fraction of the people in this town. And even if you took all of the churches, you know, you can increase that number by adding together all of the churches who, who preach, you know, Jesus Christ crucified, dead and buried for our sins and risen again. Then you can get all of those people and we can be impressed with that number. You know, we can be impressed with the number of people then that are in attendance at, the, at, a, at a church. But if you compare that to the population, you will find that more people stayed home than came together know through the church but if you stop and think if you stop and think then of the number of people who have some contact each and every day with other people who have a relationship with christ that number gets to be pretty impressive if you think of all of God's people now out, out, you know, every day during the, during the week, if you think of all of the people out during the week, one of the things I pray for you guys often on Monday when we're together in a prayer group, and one of the things I, I pray often is that, you know, the church is scattered now. And you see, scattered, you have a lot more impact than we do when we're here together. Because if you, if you add up and you just think of all of the people in, in all of these churches who, who t- talk about Christ, who really know Christ, and if you think of them, and they're out during the week, and they're either, you know, at school, at work, in their neighborhoods, they're interacting in a store, in a restaurant, you know, in public places. When you think of all of those people who are being touched by the church, then when we're scattered, that number is exponentially higher, you know, and the possibilities of telling people about Jesus are exponentially greater than even Billy Graham had. God uses ordinary people. And most of the work of God still goes on through ordinary people who choose to follow Jesus in their ordinary, everyday living. We often think of the apostles as very gifted, larger-than-life men, uh, and the truth is they were painfully ordinary, uh, common just like us, but they opened up their life to Jesus, and that makes all the difference. Jesus didn't choose them because they were extraordinarily gifted. In fact, it seems, you know, when you look at some of them and we can begin to look at them, you'll see uh, maybe it's a little bit the opposite. You know, their ordinariness is what they are. They were Galileans, not elite Galileans. In fact, um, Galileans were always seen as low-class, rural, uneducated people. And this is who they fell among. If you remember Nathaniel's response when, when he was brought and heard who Jesus is, and when at the very beginning in, uh, in John, uh, the first chapter, and he hears who Jesus is, and it says, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because it was preposterous to them. But yet this is where all these men were from. They had nothing within themselves to set, to set themselves apart from anyone else until they met Jesus. You see, the reality is, is it's not the person. It's the presence of God in the person that makes the difference. Sometimes we think that we're not much. It's not, it's not us. It's not about us. It's about the fact that God is in us. 
We are transformed. We are empowered by God working within us, making us more and more the people that he can use to touch other lives. That he has not only touched your life, but he has touched your life because he knows those people you associate with and he knows those people who also need to see Jesus. Those ones that you will see when you leave here and go to the restaurant. That you will see when you leave here on Monday that you go to work or in your neighborhood. You ever think of all of your neighbors and how many of your neighbors know Jesus Christ? How many of them have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And did you ever think that God may have chosen you? Part of the reason that he chose you is because he wants to work through you to touch those. And the 12 apostles were no exception to this reality. Now we look at the 12, but we need to remember that Jesus had a lot more followers than the 12. If you recall, one time he set out 70 in pairs, you know, and those were from among his, his followers, among his disciples, and he sent them out in pairs to preach the message of the kingdom. He had f- perhaps hundreds of people that followed him and walked with him, not on an, not on an everyday basis where they were there, you know, in, instead of their job, they would have to work and things, but you know, he had this whole group, you know, probably hundreds who followed him and, here is teaching that was, that was normal that's how they learned how they learned they would literally follow a teacher around to hear his teaching you know they would spend as much time as they could following a teacher around and they would hear what he had to say as he taught as he interacted with people and, and this was how they learned and jesus ministry really was that of an itinerant preacher and he gained quite a following there and among those who followed was this group that we know as the 12 apostles And before he selected them, they were just part of the crowd. They were just part of the crowd that that came along with this, maybe, you know, hundreds of people that were following him. They were just one of the group. A lot like us. Just one of those who were following. They had no official role. They had no official title. They were, were just ordinary men following a teacher who they believed in. They were just one of them who were going along, faces in the crowd, some among the many. Until one day, about halfway through his three years of ministry, in Luke chapter 6, interesting, comes right after what we looked at earlier in chapter 5, where they were out fishing. Because you see, they were out fishing. Jesus was teaching, came along, because they had to still earn a living. Well, what we see here is is when they were called out to step aside from those jobs, probably about halfway through Jesus' ministry here. It says, during those days, he went out to a mountaintop to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Literally, it's prayer of God. It's, you know, that conversation together with him. It says, when daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them. And he also named them apostles. Now, that word apostle... You know, it's a transliteration instead of a, a translation. It means we it's we see it as an English word, but it was really it was is a, a Greek word that they we just kind of moved over into the you know into the English language. Uh, they took the Greek word here, apostolos, and and they brought it into the English language as apostle, and the word means one who is sent. But it's not merely a messenger because you see they had a word for messenger. That's where we get the word angel, and that 
This is another transliteration that we just kind of slid into the English language. But they have that word that, that means messenger. Uh, you know, it, it, and, uh, apostle, it conveys the idea of an ambassador, a delegate, an official representative. This is what this, this, is what this word meant to them. Now, they have a, a word, an exact parallel in the Aramaic language. Aramaic language is the language Jesus spoke. It's the language he was speaking when he was calling them. It's the language he was speaking when he it says that he called them out to be apostles. And you know, in that in that Americ, Americ, the Americ word is uh, shalia. And, and in that in that first century Jewish culture, a shalia was an official representative of the Sanhedrin, you know, the the ruling council of Israel. And the Shalia exercised the full rights and full authority of the Sanhedrin. And when they spoke, when, when the Shalia spoke, he was, he was speaking with the authority of the Sanhedrin. When he carried on whatever, whatever he delivered, he wasn't delivering his own message. He was delivering the message of the Sanhedrin. He was delivering the message of the group he represented. And the office of the Shalia was well known to all of them. So right there in front of this larger crowd of disciples, after he, after he had spent this night in prayer and he and the Father conversing and talking, and I think, I think they were probably praying for these disciples. I think they were, that they were talking about how this, and just reviewing it, if you will, how this ministry was going to unfold. And so they're in front of this larger group of which at this point the apostles are just a face in the crowd. They are just some among the many at this point. And right there in front of them, you know, maybe hundreds of disciples, Jesus very publicly selects these 12 men to be his shalia, his apostles. And he chooses them and calls them out. Seems they may have let it go to their head a little bit. You know, this is where we see they become a little bit like us. And they may let it go to their head. Uh, sometimes it seems they lack some humility. Uh, several times we see in Scripture where they were pretty self-absorbed, where they were self-promoting, they were proud. One of them's in Matthew chapter 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him, that's Jesus, with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? We are, they said to him. He told them, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them over and said, You know that the ruler of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, they were appointed as, a, as the twelve, and then among the twelve, well then, you know, then they began to think, one of us has to be his favorite. Why not us? 
so there's a point of discussion there. And a point of discussion even in, you see, their, their mother gets involved. We're told about another time in Mark chapter 9. It says, when they came to Capernaum, when they, he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? I thought you loved this. They were silent. Because on the way, they've been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Now here it doesn't mean, you know, who was the greatest among all the people they knew. They meant, which one of them? Which one of those, those 12 there? Which one of them was the greatest? So sitting down, he called the 12 to them and said, if anybody wants to be first, uh, he must be last of all and servant of all. Give me the next slide there, Matt. Uh, Then he took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. You see, they they had this argument still of of who was going to be best. Again, in Luke chapter 9, we read, it says, then an argument started among them about who would be the greatest among them. Even among those 12, they had to, you know, they were still jockeying for position. If it wasn't enough to be one of the 12. But Jesus reminds them over and over again about being a servant, you know, and, and serving together. And just before he went to the cross, he reminded them one more time of their nece- of the necessity to be a servant and serve one another as he washed their feet. Because none of them bothered to wash the feet. A common practice for them. And none, none of them bothered to do that, perhaps because they thought they were a little bit too important. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds over 5,000 men. Now, if you add women and children into that, it becomes a much greater number, but 5,000, I think, would be a big enough banquet. Now, the next day, many of those 5,000 or more came to Jesus, and they found him simply because they wanted to be fed, literally, to get food. Jesus addresses them on that issue. He says, I assure you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now, he goes on to tell them that he's the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me uh, will ever thirst again. Now, there was obviously a bit of confusion among the people and wanting to know, wonder what he's talking about, because some of them just came, you know, like sometimes we'll go to, to Costco or Sam's Club around lunchtime because, you know, it free eats. And you get all the samples and then you're done eating and you can go home. You don't even have to buy anything. You know, but the, you know, the, the whole picture here, this is kind of what the people were looking for. And Jesus is telling them, you know, I'm the bread of life. And there's confusion there. Jesus makes an even bolder statement to him then. He says, so then Jesus said to them, I assure you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him. Just as the Father, the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your fathers ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. And these guys, this is his larger group of disciples, and as he's talking to them, and you know, they're just, they are dumbfounded. What in the world is this man talking about? And then we're told, from that moment, many of 
his disciples, many of that larger group then turned back and no longer accompanied him. That happened, Jesus turns and he looks at the 12, you know, he asks the 12, he's, you know, are they, are they going to leave as well? Well, then Peter, speaking for the whole group, says, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied to them, didn't I choose you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. You see, Jesus chose these 12 knowing that one of these 12 that he was going to pour his life into was going to betray him. One of these prayer-saturated, hand-picked out of the larger crowd of delegates, one of those that Jesus' hand chose out of all of those hundreds that he had the opportunity to choose from, and one of those that he chose he knew was going to betray him. The apostles were trained by Jesus himself, the master teacher, God himself, and he knew their hearts. And even though they were trained by him, sometimes they they were frustratingly slow to catch on to what was happening. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Are even you still lacking understanding? He asked, Don't you realize whoever whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Don't you get this, he says? Later in Matthew chapter 16, he says, Don't you understand yet? Luke chapter 24, he said to them, How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. The apostles didn't always understand. These guys who were hand-picked by Jesus didn't always understand. But Jesus kept teaching them. Jesus kept moving them along. Sometimes it takes us a bit longer to catch on to things and we get frustrated. But this is how God works. You know, some things we don't understand until later even. Just like the apostles. In the very first chapter of John, as he's writing his gospel... He says, so when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said these things. And they believed the scripture and the statements that Jesus had made. They had walked with Jesus all those years. They had heard him all those years, and yet they weren't catching on to some of what he had told them until after the resurrection. Until years later, you see, it caught on. It says, then his disciples remembered. Don't give up if you don't understand what's going on. Don't give up. Work on listening to God as you continue to walk with God. Oh my goodness, life is sometimes confusing. And we wonder, Lord, what is going on? Don't give up. Don't give up and turn and walk away. Realize, you know, that God is taking you further as you continue to walk with him. Even after walking with Jesus, hearing his teaching, and being an eyewitness to the miracles, they still, you know, they still had moments in their life where they struggled with faith. Four times in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says to them, Oh, you of little faith. And in Mark chapter 40, it says, Then he said to them, Why are you fearful? Do you still have no faith? 
Even after his resurrection, it says in Mark chapter 16, later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief. Don't give up because you don't get it right away. Don't give up because you think, well, Jeff does so much better at this living for Jesus stuff than me. Man, did you hear what Paul had to say, you know, in, in Sunday school about the script? I just don't get it. Don't give up, you see? Don't give up. The, the, the most obvious quality that these men had was that they were ordinary, even in their training, and they were growing in faith. Great statement said about them in Acts chapter 4. It says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John, and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. How's that for equality? They realized that they were just ordinary guys. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. There is the quality we should want in ourselves. What we should want is not that we are uneducated and untrained. What we should want people to see is that we have been with Jesus. That's the quality I want people to see in me. That there's something different because Jesus has been changing and is changing my life. I get the I, I I have I seem to have a real good handle on the, I don't get this and I seem to have a real good handle you know on, on the uh, the part of being confused. But what I want people to see is that I've been with Jesus. Now, in the weeks to come, we're going to take a deeper look at these twelve ordinary men and see that they're a lot like us. And we will see you know I hope what we'll see is that we can learn. You know, what we, and what we learn will help us, uh, and help us to reflect the fact that we have been with Jesus. So now we get a little bit fuller picture when we read these words. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. And when daylight came, he summoned his disciples. He chose 12 of them. He also named them apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter. And Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. They're a lot like us. And in the weeks to come, we're going to unfold this and look at all 12 of these guys as we go through. And I hope we are encouraged, challenged in the faith to the point where people will be able to look at us and say they have been with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are that we don't have to meet some standard or quality to be able to be yours. You take us right where we are, just like we are. And you begin that transformation process. What a, what a privilege and honor it is to be called by you. 
to be chosen by you. And each one of us here with a relationship, to have that relationship with you, have been chosen by you to be one of yours, to be a follower of yours, to be someone who is so transformed that people will look at us. And even though we might just be one among the many, that they will be able to say, they've been with Jesus. Continue the transformation you've started in so many of us that will reflect your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.